Well, may God have mercy on your souls. Uh, I've had some things on my heart lately, and so I'm just going to try and share them with you. Um, Sarah, I just uh, I felt your heartbreak for the people in Afghanistan. You know, there's a lot of bad decision-making going on in the world right now on personal levels, on governmental levels, on all levels. And one of, one of my goals, one of the things that I hope the Lord can do here is, is that the Lord can impart to us a compassion rather than an anger toward those people who can't help but make wrong decisions because what they believe to be true is false. And if you, uh, back at Oral Roberts University years ago, I took this little course. It was called Kingdom of the Cults, where we we studied all of the major cults that were operational in the United States of America and what was wrong with their belief systems so that you could speak into that when you got the opportunity to have contact with those things. And, and uh, one, my professor that, that taught that course was a brilliant man. I mean, he was just Dr. Roy Hayden from Oral Roberts University. He could read 16 Semitic languages. You know, his doctrinal thesis was done solely from... Babylonian cuneiform tablets. He was a smart boy. But he loved the Lord and was spirit-filled constantly. He was really an impressive man. You know, but, but he said, when, when you're, you're speaking with someone who is deceived, you can never uh, refute their logic. You know, because... The, the things that they assume to be true before they begin to reason is where the error is. What is the basic thing that you assume to be true? What are the presuppositions that you hold in your heart? You know, but I just get, you know, my wife is a lot more political than me and, 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 you know, she keeps up with all this junk and everything. She just showed me a little thing while we were sitting there. And I thought this was really good news. This was really good news. You know, we saw one little baby dedicated to the Lord up here this morning. That is a good thing. Oh, gosh, wasn't that, that family was just gorgeous. I just loved them. You know, it really speaks to my heart. And then, and then we heard that there were nine children rescued from abortion yesterday at that Love Life walk. Wow. And then Kathy showed me this thing. Now, I'm not a Glenn Beck fan. I, some of you may know who Glenn Beck is. He's just political commentator guy. He's a little too radical for me, one thing or another. But Kathy just showed me a thing. Glenn Beck flew 5,100 
Christians out of Afghanistan on his private plane without any government assistance or funds. Rescuing Christians that were on the Taliban's hit list in Afghanistan. That's a really good thing. You know, we hear so much about all the junk. We hear so much about all that's going wrong. We need to pay attention to that our God is on the move and he's used people to do his kind of work in the earth today. Jesus is alive and well. God is sovereign over all the earth. That's my presupposition. Uh, How many people in here have read Francis Schaeffer's book, How Should We Then Live? How many have read it in the last five years? Okay, I read it years ago. I've read it again. I want to encourage you to read that book. How Should We Then Live? It probably had, uh, it was copyrighted in 1979, but it was very prophetic in seeing what we are living today. It saw the deception that was coming on Western civilization and got to the roots of why Western civilization is in a, in a phase of deterioration right now, where wrong decisions are being made. And I, I just want to read a couple of little quotes. Now, this first quote is uh, by Lane Dennis, who is the president of uh, Crossway Books, and this was in the foreword to How Should We Then Live. Now, that How Should We Then Live comes from the book of Ezekiel. It's a quote out of Ezekiel, uh, a prophetic question. How should we live in this age of turmoil? Ezekiel lived in a time of turmoil and captivity. And so it spoke into that situation. Um, in the foreword to the uh, 2005 edition of How Should We Then Live, um, uh, Lane Dennis said this. It says, Schaefer's question to each of us, how should we then live, is especially urgent in our own day as we see the growing disintegration and decline of truth and morality throughout the world. What then is the answer that Schaefer offers in response? It is a commitment to God's word as truth. It is compassion for a culture that is lost and dying without the gospel. You see, instead of being angry at our culture, I think we should have compassion on our culture because it is deteriorating completely for the reason that it has ignored the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a commitment to the costly practice of truth 
in the midst of intellectual, moral, and philosophical battles of our day. I believe that in the near future, it will cost us more and more. There's inflation going on. It's going to cost us more and more to walk and live by the truth. I saw a little news thing of a teacher in Virginia recently. This teacher publicly resigned from her position as a public school teacher because she refused to teach her students lies. That abominable, critical race theory thing that makes everybody a victim is just demonic. It's demonic. And she said, I'm not teaching the kids that they should be judged by the color of their skin. I think we've come a lot further than that. So it it cost her her job. But guess what? The job offer started rolling in. She's got her choice of places to go. We do live in the midst of intellectual, moral, and physical decay. But the commitment is, it is the living, it is living in the power and reality of God who is there, bearing witness of his truth across the full spectrum of life and culture. That's how we should live. In chapter 1, I want to read the words of Schaefer. I think this is one of the most profound opening paragraphs, a couple of paragraphs in a book I've ever read. It says, there is a flow to history and culture. This flow is rooted and has its wellspring in the thoughts of people. People are unique in the inner life of the mind. What they are in their thought world determines how they act. This is true of their value systems And it is true of their creativity. It is true of their corporate actions, such as political decisions. And it is true in their personal lives. People have presuppositions. And they will live more consistently on the basis of these presuppositions than they themselves may realize. Have you ever looked into the eyes of a young person who was raised in a Christian home but took a turn away from the ways of the Lord and began to to live in darkness, to get involved in drugs and all the alcoholism and things that just tear them down? I've looked in the eyes of some of those kids that I've loved recently. And it looks like death is on them. There's darkness on their life. They, and they're angry. 
and they're victims and everybody's wrong except me and there's no forgiveness or repentance in them. And you can see it's carrying their life on an ever downward spiral away from the things of the Lord. Have you ever looked into those eyes? It's sad. Because what they assume to be true is having an effect on their lives. They get hurt at church for some reason. Somebody offends them at church. And so they discount Christianity altogether. And they walk away. But they don't realize when they reject those truths that they've been taught since they were children, that it will have an effect on their life. It's just, it results in death. By presuppositions, we mean the way an individual looks at life, his basic worldview, the grid through which he sees the world. How do we perceive the world? Presumptions rest upon that which a person considers to be the truth of what exists. Now listen to this. This is I, I read all that to read this couple of sentences right here. People's presuppositions lay a grid for all they bring forth into the external world. Their presuppositions also provide the basis for their values and therefore the basis for their decisions. If you do not believe that there is a righteous, loving God in control of your life and the world around you, you cannot come to the right decisions. Our politicians that are making the wrong decisions over and over and over again, we need to look at them not so much with anger or hatred. God forbid that there be hatred in our hearts. We need to look at them with compassion, knowing that they are so blinded by the lies that they have believed that they cannot possibly come to the proper conclusions and decisions. You can't get to the right decision if you start off on the wrong foot. It's just impossible to do. Proverbs 23.7 in the New American Standard Bible is is really a profound verse. We used to hear this from Arthur Burt all the time. It's in King James it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. In the New American Standard it says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. It is a time that we need to be purified by the fire of the Holy Spirit. We need to have our minds cleansed from all of those things 
that are not strictly found in the Word of God. We need to have our thought life and our heart life in total agreement with that which is written in Scripture. We also need to have the life we live in agreement with what's written in Scripture. We need to get serious about this stuff, church. My question today is, how should we now live and walk out our faith in this day that the Lord has given us? Remember that little ditty song we used to sing back in the old days, you know? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has a purpose, an eternally valuable purpose for each of us living in this day that he has made, that he has made. I do not believe that we or the world in which we live is a result of an accident or a mindless big bang. (laughs) My deeply held presupposition upon which I intend to live my life is that this world, including you and me, And the time in which we live were benevolently created and orchestrated by a purposeful, purposeful, loving God who has revealed his righteousness, truth, and love to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything I think, everything I do, I want to be founded on that bedrock. That the God who made the time in which I live, he orchestrated the events to get you and I to this place are both benevolent and purposeful. He is redeeming his creation. He is dividing the spirit from the flesh in the church of Jesus Christ in the day in which we live. And he's going to do it as a last resort by the utilization of the sword of circumstance. The sword of circumstance is being released on the United States with a benevolent purpose in mind 
to purify his church so that our testimony will bring glory to Jesus Christ and save lives. At the abortion clinics and from hit lists in Afghanistan or wherever the Lord gives you a task to perform for his glory. Okay. So, with that in mind, I would like to give a few helpful hints on how to do that. When I was a young Christian, I, I, you've heard this over and over again, but Charlie and I, uh, I met Charlie Wallace, I think, at the end of 1970. He had just got back from a tour of the Middle East, baptized in the Jordan River, and he was all glowing with the Holy Spirit and everything. And we were going to a little place called the Lamb's Chapel. And on Thursday nights, there was a guy there named Don Davis. You remember Don Davis's Thursday night Bible studies? Uh, he had been the head of the Greek department at a conservative uh, seminary and gotten kicked out when he got filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so that was a, uh, it provided an upgrade for the Bible teaching at the Lamb's Chapel. <laughs> but he taught... Uh, Every Thursday night, he would take one or two verses from the book of Ephesians. Just one or two verses. And he would go into the depths of what those verses were actually revealing. And, 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 and I mean, it was like a, a graduate-level uh, course in systematic theology from the book of Ephesians. And it created in me a love for the word of God that has remained all these years, like 51 years. My greatest joy, Kathy can tell you, is I, I get kind of grumpy if my morning time in the word is interrupted. I just, I love that time. To spend an hour or two in the word every morning is a wonderful thing for me. But there are six ways to walk talked about in the book of Ephesians. And that's what I want to talk to you about. How do we walk this out? How do we walk this out? Someday maybe we can do a, a systematic theology course verse by verse out of the book of Ephesians. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But I, I just want to talk about six ways we can walk out our life that are e kind of easy to remember, but they'll change everything. They'll change everything. Uh, the first one comes from Ephesians 2.10. And this is kind of like my life verse that I built his heart missions around this particular verse in the Bible. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Uh, I uh, pulled a quote. Do you know who Dr. Michael Brown is? Uh, I really respect 
Dr. Michael Brown. I don't know him personally, but I have friends who are very good friends of his, and I respect him highly. I, he said this recently. He says, if you feel like it's your role as a believer to stop the spiritual and moral decline of society, you'll quickly become discouraged and worn out. But if you concentrate on advancing God's kingdom purposes by positively impacting one life at a time, you'll be encouraged and renewed. Hmm? Okay. If you feel like it's your role as a believer to stop the spiritual and moral decline of society, you'll quickly become discouraged and worn out. But if you concentrate on advancing God's kingdom purposes by positively impacting one life at a time, you'll be encouraged and renewed. You see, I believe in my heart, I know this to be true, I believe that God foresaw all of us. And he reserved certain specific good works just for you, designed for you, and just for me, designed for me. Not everybody likes going above 10,000 feet elevation in the Andes. But man, those that know me know I get happier up there. (laughs) Something about it. He made me so that I love that because there was something there for me to do. But that doesn't mean that that's for everyone. That doesn't mean that my good work is better than your good work. The highest value is that you do that which you were created to do and that which God has reserved for you. But it's one person at a time. I have spoken in large meetings. I think the largest meeting I ever spoke at was 5,000 people once upon a time. I can't tell you a single thing that happened in that meeting that was of any eternal good. But I can name numerous churches that now exist and works, ministries that have gone on, feeding centers that got built, different things that went on, sitting around a table one-on-one or two-on-two around the small things and small group meetings. My anointing, my purposefulness is more in one-on-one interaction encouraging people to go and do things. I'm, I, 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 God bless those people that have anointings for big meetings, but it just doesn't seem to have worked out for me. I'm scared to death just looking at you guys. And I love most of you, and I feel like a lot of... And a few of you might even like me. I'm just not cut out for big stuff. Everybody has their thing that God has put in their heart. One of the biggest people I know is Barbara that runs... Yeah, there you go. Look at there. That's one of the biggest saints I've ever known. 
How many people has she fed? Go do good. Go do good. Walk in the good works God has prepared for you. The opportunities that appear before you. The burden that comes up in your heart. Just act on it. I don't have a private plane I can fly 5,100 refugees out of Afghanistan in. But Glenn Beck does. God bless that little Mormon boy. I'm not going to argue about his doctrine. Bless him. He just saved over 5,000 lives. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, employ you. Paul's in jail when he's writing this. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. How do we walk worthy? I don't feel worthy of the things the Lord has allowed me to do. Doug don't think I am either. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Church, we need to have grace for each other. I readily and publicly admit I'm not perfect, but I plead for you to look upon me with grace. Stacy, come on now. <laughs> Stacy confessed to me not that long ago that she was still mad at me for trying to throw Donna Culler in a swimming pool 20 years ago. Let's go to the pool. <laughs> no. Showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Please don't be mad at each other. Don't be irritated with each other. Cut each other some slack. This is not a club for holy people. This is a club for messed up people that want to do better. And no, without the Holy Ghost, we can't manage it. Those people that judge the church for being holier than thou, they must have gone to a different church than I was ever part of. Just say it. That's how we are worthy when we walk in humility 
and grace and mercy for each other. I think everybody's pedaling their little tricycle the best they can. You know? Some of us can't balance on a two-wheeler. We still have to use a trike. <laughs> Ephesians four seventeen through 24. These are, this is good here. It says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk. We got to have non-Gentile thinking up in here. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. The ignorance is the result of the hardness. Don't be hard-hearted. And they have become callous having given themselves over to sensuality, another fruit of the hardness, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you've heard him and been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, the way you used to walk, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. The lusts of deceit. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I remember I, I, I had a conversation with Arthur Burt once upon a time. A very close friend of mine had fallen away from the Lord. I've only known one person in my entire life. I've known a lot of people who've fallen away from the Lord, fallen back into sin, you know. But I've only known one person that fell away from the Lord so far that she went to work for the other team and became a wicked witch. Actually had a position on, at the Wicca Seminary teaching other people how to be witches. And I asked Arthur, I said, Arthur says, how do I know I'm not deceived? He said, it's simple, brother. <laughs> Only a deceiver can be deceived. He said, it's the principle of reaping and sowing. The way to have your mind right and to be deception proof is don't ever deceive anybody. Don't ever pretend you're something you're not. Be real. Be authentic. Be legitimate who you are. And if we're walking in a corporate body full of grace and space for each other, you don't have to be something you're not. You can be your complete legitimate self, and that will make you deception-proof. When you walk in a lie, you will believe the lies because you're hiding from the truth. 
Don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Deceit has a certain lust. Now, I might start messing with you here. Now, forgive me. Now, this is me saying this. This ain't the Lord. I feel compassion for a generation that evaluates themselves by how many likes and shares they get on social media. Oh, my God. That is sad. That is sad. That is a sad way to live. Seeking the approval of people you never actually have personal contact with. We need to pray for that generation. People appear to be things that they're not. They present themselves as something they're not. Maybe they're presenting themselves as what they aspire to be, and that would be semi-okay because we're all shooting. I'm shooting for higher than I've attained, you know. But, but there's a lust attached to that that's wicked. That's wicked. You understand? I don't know how to, it, but it's... It's like, that's the dark side of the force. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11 says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. This morning, I, I, I got to thinking about this. Did you know that Jehovah or Yahweh, however you want to pronounce those consonants, we don't know exactly how the vowels go together because nobody ever said it before, um, was the first righteous God? Think about it. The Greek and the Roman gods were all capricious and deceitful and lustful. Oh, we don't even want to talk about your set of mythologies, Larry. The Norse gods, man, they were really, you know, that was really a bunch of things. You know, in Kali, in Hinduism, we won't, I don't want to go through the whole litany of false gods and what they were like. You know, Baal and Moloch demanding child sacrifice, you know, but... Our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the first concept of a God being righteous and holy and worthy of honor and praise that extended mercy to humanity. Go be like him. That's what it means to be children of the light. Righteousness and holiness and truth. Let those be your aspirational values. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Okay? But how, how should we expect leaders that don't have those concepts 
as the basis for their life to make proper decisions. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. It says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. The way we expose the unfruitful works of darkness is by a life well lived. We said goodbye to uh, a longtime friend this week, Bobby Coggins. I'd known him for 51 years. And he sat back there in the back, and maybe everybody didn't know him. Uh, he was a dear, dear friend to me. And he was one of the most truly, consistently loving and cheerful people I ever met in my life. I can't think of a moment when I saw Bobby Coggins act in a different way than loving and cheerful and kind. And I knew him for 51 years. I couldn't think of a single moment. I was, I was trying to, as, as we were preparing for the funeral, I was trying to think of a moment that I saw Bobby act out of character. And I couldn't remember one. To me, that's a pretty high aspirational goal for me to try to walk out for the rest of my little life. May the Lord have mercy on us all. Don't participate in darkness. Don't dabble your toe in it. There ain't no good down there. Well, remember that old song? It's no good down there. It's no good down there. Come away. Um, yeah, come away from the sinking sand. Goodbye, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, goodbye, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, goodbye, Pharaoh, goodbye. My chains are broken. Jesus to me has spoken. Goodbye, Pharaoh, goodbye. Yeah. As a great, come away from the land of the sinking sand, for there's not a bit of good down there, is the chorus. Gosh, have mercy. Oh, God, I just noticed I'm 10 minutes over. One verse and I'm gone. <laughs> Therefore, be careful how you walk in Ephesians 5 15. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil, and I went over. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. The world does not need angry Christians today. The antidote for anger is not other anger. 
The world needs a bunch of happy people singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord for they know that the Lord is good and in control. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's all I got to say. Thank you so much, Jim. That was awesome. I love the singing, too. (laughs) You'll have to lead us again. I just want to close out today. One verse that the Lord was really speaking to me was out of uh, Romans chapter 12 about living our lives, but as a living sacrifice, (laughs) giving ourselves over to him. And it's our spiritual act of worship, and it's holy, and it's acceptable to the Lord. So we present ourselves to you, God, to be children of light, to live in the light. Lord, to eradicate the darkness when we step into the room. We thank you, Lord, that we're not going to be conformed to this world, but we're being transformed by meditating on and renewing our minds in the truth. We thank you, Father. We bless you. We pray that all that's been done today would be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I bless everyone as they go out, Lord, that they would carry your joy and spread it wherever they go. And that we would indeed do good. (laughs) In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The ministry team would come forward. If anyone would like to receive prayer for healing, um, for anything, anything on your heart, your mind, you need some encouragement, we'd like a prophetic word. We'd love for you to come forward and to be ministered to. So we have some lovely people here who would love to encourage you. We pray that you are blessed today. Go in peace.